stimulus. Gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show. Wow. Let me tell you, how about the guests we've been having here? TV stars, everyone on this show, and Voice America is really helping me help people with disabilities gain quality of life. I thank them, but most importantly, I thank my listeners. What great listeners we have. All you people are helping to make this show number one on Voice America. You have really been out there. You know why? Because we're all in it together. We are all in this together. And you are going to be so very excited because of our guest today because he is very well-known, very highly thought of, as you will see in a moment. Let me tell you about this man's education. He is dedicated to helping Americans with disabilities gain quality of life in all areas. He is a well-known speaker in this country. All right, get ready. He studied disability life and policy at Sarah Lawrence College and Oxford University, but see, that just wasn't enough for him. No, sir. He had to go on to graduate studies at the University of Chicago and Columbia University, studying more issues on disability and aging to further in his graduate program to get his Ph.D. Today, he is the founder of Disability Works. He speaks across the country. He's a consultant to companies. And in addition to that, in his part-time, he's adjunct professor at the City of New York University. Wow. Fantastic. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Well, it is wonderful to have you. And I thought, Jonathan, first for our listeners throughout the world, you know, a lot of people have disabilities. But not everyone is driven, as you have been, to first of all excel in so many areas, to give back to the community, to do such a fantastic job that you've done. Um, But not everyone does that. So why? Why did you decide to work in the area of disability? You know, I I always sort of hearken back to the writer Edmund Wilson who said, "Um, I will make my wound into my bow. And my experience with disability came from my own personal experience. I was born with cerebral palsy. So living a life as a person with a disability, it was something I knew intimately. And as I started to grow up, I, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I think for me, my disability was a gift. It allowed me to to sort of think about what do I want to do at a very young age. And I realized that I wanted to help people, but I didn't want to be a traditional advocate. I was interested in a variety of different things. I, I had just an insatiable curiosity. And so initially I thought it was going to be an academic. And as you heard from my educational background, that, that sort of was the path I took. And I realized while I was going through the whole process that, you know, I really just also want to roll up my sleeves as well and be able to help people in a variety of ways. But I, I always felt that it was so important. My own experience was great, but it was limiting. And so I always felt that I needed to learn more. I needed to understand more so that I could go out and actually do the work I love. And I've been given tremendous opportunities. I I really do feel truly blessed in so many ways. And having the, the education I've had, having the ability to have access so many different opportunities I felt that it just was my my an imperative really to give back don't we wish everyone would feel that way well Jonathan one of the many many things you did is found disability works would you mind taking a moment to explain to our listeners what is the mission what do you do what is disability works all about disability works for me was my way of sort of giving back, if you will. You know, I designed a consulting firm, and it's a strategy firm. And my interest really, as I look at myself, I'm the professional stranger. 
And whether I'm working with a corporation or a government um, institution or an educational um, organization or a non-for-profit, it's really about helping to develop the organization um, not only for people with disabilities, whether it be job development, job training, those types of things, but also seeing new and creative ways in which there can be an inclusive environment. Um, and that was the idea. I used the analogy of the difference between a physician and a pharmacist. A pharmacist will come in and just sort of say, okay, here's the, here's the pill, see me in 30 days. A physician will say, okay, where does it hurt? Let's find the diagnosis. And I have a certain expertise, yet at the same time I don't work in a vacuum. So working with other organizations, we try and find the diagnosis together in partnership and hopefully at the end of the day find a solution. And, and that's sort of the approach that I take in this regard. And I've never done the same project twice. Um, ever, because I, coming from the background of, uh, that I have as a social scientist, I always feel that every project that I, that I come across has slight nuances and slight differences, so you sort of adapt to the environment that you're in so that you can create the best project that meets both the client's needs as well as those that it helps, which are a majority of people with disabilities, those that are aging, those that have family members with disabilities. And at the end of the day, to me, disability is a human issue, and it impacts all of us. So the goal for me as a, as a really a humanist is to help as many people as I can. Well, <clears throat> Jonathan, as you know, our listeners can either call in live or can email us prior to the show. So here is your question from Meredith in Philadelphia. And the question is, um, Dr. Kaufman, I have a question to ask you about cultural impact. This seems to be an area that you focus on. If an African-American works at a company, frequently you will hear the person say, oh, Ted did a really good job. You know he's African-American or you know the African-American man at the meeting versus the man at the meeting. How long do you think it will take before people say, oh, see that person, they do a really great job, versus see that person who is in a wheelchair, they do a really good job? I, I, I honestly think we are at a cultural watershed now, I mean, with the Obama presidency, it's really changing the nature, particularly in the United States, of how we see race, how we see culture, how we see gender, in a way that has never been. I think the 60s generation, I think that's sort of going by the wayside, and we have a, we have a generation of really true inclusion. And, and in many ways, technology has created that environment where we are living in a flat world or a global village where people are connected to others that they may not have been previously. So they're exposed to people they may not have been previously. And it changes the nature of how people work. When we look at the question of how people work, that is changing. So the notion of telecommuting, the notion of flexible work is changing which also changes the tenor of how we look at people. And for me, the, the ultimate is basing people on their merit, not on whether they have a disability or they're a woman or anything else, but based on merit. And meritocracy for me is, is the penultimate. Um, I, I think we have a long way to go, but I do think we've taken a major step forward in that, in that context. Mm. I think we have, too, but I have to say if it took all these years and we're still, we still do refer to people frequently as, oh, and by the way, that person's African-American, or oh, by the way, they're a minority. I have no idea why we still do that, but people do do that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and it's like, what's that have to do with anything? Right. I mean, I, I, but human beings are tribal by nature, by definition. So we always categorize, and we've been doing it in throughout our entire history. 
So this is nothing new. It, it, the question becomes how do we think about really inclusion and how does that impact the way we live our lives, whether it's the way we work, the way we're educated, um, and other aspects of our life, and, and how does that impact the quality of life. And that's something that will, I think, constantly be debated and constantly be thought about because in, in, at the end of the day, I mean, when you look at disability, you look at, if you look at the language of disability, it's changed over the last hundred years, and it will change again. Um, and that's something that I think for all people, again, it's also the fear factor that, that plays into it of because this could be me and because there has been a stigma attached of the other, whether it be to people with disabilities or other minority groups, um, the question becomes, you know, how do we look at them as equals and as just human beings? And that's really the, the, the great question of inclusion, and hopefully that will be answered at some point. And, you know, <clears throat> to that point, what does Greg Grumber from the TV show Heroes tell us? Talk about it. Right. Talk about it. The more you talk about it, the more we are out there, not back in the shadows. You've got to talk about it. And we are talking about it right now with Mr. Jonathan Kaufman on voiceamerica.com. He is the president, disability strategist for Disability Works, and may I say well-known speaker across the country, very highly thought of, in this area. Now, if you just tuned in, don't worry. We'll be right back with Jonathan Kaufman. You are listening to Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability always matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Jonathan. Have you ever thought about having your own Internet talk show? Well, if you said yes, then click About Us. Then click Be a Host to get more information. Or just call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417. Say that again. 480-294-6417. VoiceAmerica.com. Mom? Dad? How long should I wait for you? Mom? If I'm at soccer practice. What if something happens? Will you come get me? There's no reason not to have a plan in case of a terrorist attack. Mom, if you're not home, should we go to the neighbor's house? And some extremely good reasons why you should. Can you tell me? Everybody should have a plan. Take five minutes to talk about where you'll meet and how you'll get in touch with each other in an emergency. For other things you can do to be prepared, visit www.ready.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the Ad Council. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST. 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's Every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. 
Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. And welcome back. If you just tuned in, we're talking to Jonathan Kaufman today, President, Disability Strategist for Disability Works, well-known speaker, really well-known throughout the United States in his work and probably throughout the world, his work in the area of disability. Uh, he is an accomplished academician, professor, businessman, speaker. And I noticed, Jonathan, on one of the bios, you've done a lot of other things, haven't you? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, for me, I, I like eclectic work, and, and I think it enhances just the work that I do in my field. So um, I'm, I'm interested in everything, really. I mean, uh, you know, I was lucky in a lot, in many ways, because I was brought up in a very rich environment at home and, and a father who is interested in everything in the world and, and I traveled from the age of two literally throughout Central and South America, you know, um, collecting orchids. And um, for me, that travel has been a great part of my life and learning about other cultures and how other people live really sort of has broadened my perspective of the world. You know what? I love orchids. Me too. <laughs> I love orchids. <clears throat> but, you know, uh, if you just t- caught this, uh, if you weren't on earlier, Jonathan was talking about he had, how he was born with cerebral palsy. Now, what's very important here is this part about his parents and the allowing him to travel from the age of what, Jonathan? The age of two. <laughs> the age of two. is If you would meet Jonathan, trust me, he's independent. And he can go anywhere at any time and do anything on his own. But it is when, just like with epilepsy, I always tell parents, it's when you say, shh, don't tell anyone. You're really saying there's something wrong with you. And with a child with a physical disability, if you say, you've got to stay home, you're still saying there's something wrong with them. You know, but you have to allow your children to experience life and enjoy life just as Jonathan did, because that person could end up contributing back to the world just as he did. Now, how did you enjoy traveling in South America? Oh, I I loved it. You know, for me, it was fascinating just to even see how their perspective of disability um, is. Um, And I lived, you know, I spent a lot of time with tribal groups, um, the Anamami Indians, the Quechua, where even disability wasn't even a word. It didn't even exist in their vocabulary. And what was fascinating, and I, you know, because of my disability, because of my cerebral palsy, I had seizures at about from about eleven on. Um, you know, it's been medicated. But what was fascinating within many of those cultures, they believed that people who had epilepsy or people that had seizure disorders, like myself, um, were shamans. That they had visions. That they were actually major contributors to the society that they lived in which was really fascinating for me because at a young age I saw, wait a minute, these are cultures that embrace people with disabilities. They don't shun them. And that was something that obviously growing up, you know, mostly in the United States, I had seen. This was a revelation to me. This was something I had never seen before, that these are people that saw their disability as gifts, not something to be shunned or something to be locked away. I mean, which was really fascinating, which sort of led me on the journey to look at disabilities cross-culturally and to see it from a much broader perspective than just in the United States. Now, you know what is amazing is that you do not have to go very far to hear the opposite. Yeah, there are people still in Mississippi that if you have a seizure, you know, they think you're demon-possessed. Right. That is just I have to ask you this question. Mm-hmm. Did, did you meet people in their tribe that had disabilities? Yes, I met many. Um, and I met many. And even as I got older and I was traveling throughout Africa and, and even places in Southeast Asia, I met many people who have disabilities um, where it's embraced. And it is something that is, people are prideful of or it's just incorporated into their daily lives, that it isn't something that's really even seen as something that's odd or strange or a stigma attached to it, that it's just 
part of who they are. Um, just That's like so amazing. One, ex- one extreme to the other, because as you well know, there are many third world countries where if you have a disability, forget it. I mean, you're a beggar on the streets, you're, or you're hidden with your family, and in some cases, babies are even killed when they are born with a disability. Right. So <clears throat> it obviously is different everywhere, every country, but, you know, we need to be a leader to move forward, you know, and get that changed. But uh, very interesting, Jonathan. So how about you, Jonathan? How do you hope to accomplish a changing culture with disability works? I think really small successes. You know, I'm not somebody who believes in the grand success, but I think small successes are really wonderful because when you're able to change things literally on a micro level, as simple as I've worked with people for a long time, at least lately in the last four or five years with autism and and high-functioning autism and those with Asperger's, and their ability to find a job and to hold down a job, their ability to live independently, simply being able to um, go to a store, buy some clothing, to being able to learn how to um, do a job interview. It's just fabulous. Um, and to be able to feel confident in creating friendships. Um, you know, people with autism, social cues are, are very hard. Um, but the ability to feel part of a larger community and have friends and be able to have a social life, those small things are, are grand in the size of someone's life. And that, to me, is beautiful. And if, if, you know, I always feel if I can help one person, then I've done my job. At the end of the day, that's the goal. And for me, it isn't about money. It's about someone saying thank you. And that, to me, is so important. I see myself as a social entrepreneur and that the idea of entrepreneurship is wonderful, but that entrepreneurship has to have a social value to it and it has to have it attached to it so that at the end of the day I go to sleep and I say, okay, what did I do today? Who did I help today? And that is worth every penny. Well, Jonathan, you were just so awesome. You know that I hope... Everyone listening to him takes a lesson from what he's saying. Let me ask you, Jonathan, in all your travels, all of your studies, yeah. and just you as a person, what, what would you say, or in your opinion, the most major issues and obstacles that people face every day? I, I, I think the, the obstacle is fear, fear of the unknown, because I think that uh, people who are you know, really sort of ignorant are fearful of things and they hear things and they ascribe meaning to things that they don't really know because they don't take the time to really do their homework, for, you know, to use an academic term. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's about people being open and being willing to reach out a hand and say, okay, I don't want to see the person as an illness, but I want to see the person and I think that is critical. I mean, and we found this out uh, throughout history, and particularly the civil rights movement history. I mean, the disability rights movement is the last civil rights movement of the 20th century. And I think probably the first great civil rights movement of the 21st century, as we have an aging population, and two-thirds of them, at least in the United States, will be dealing with some form of disability in their lifetime. And when we look at the numbers of people with disabilities globally, the UN and the World Health Organization say, look, this is one-seventh of the planet. We're looking at 1.5 billion people. And this impacts families. It impacts, you know, in every possible way, brothers, wives, husbands, family members, cousins. You know, my mantra is disability is the only minority group anyone can join at any time. And it's vital that we all understand that this is part of the human experience. And if we begin to really understand that, then I think we have um, something that we can really hold our hats to and say, you know what, this is something that we can deal with and we can incorporate in our lives, and it isn't something to fear. It's something rather to embrace and say, you know what, how can we deal with this and how do we adapt? And that's how I, what I think. So 
as we move forward, it's really about adaptation as far as I'm concerned. <clears throat> ending, uh, ending fear. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? Yeah, I think that that's really the case because if we're able to adapt, we're able to really conquer the fear. And I, and I agree with you so much because, you know, out of ignorance comes fear. Right. This is why, remember what Greg Grunberg said, talk about it? We do have to talk about it. That's why we're having this radio show so we can talk about it. And, Jonathan, uh, one question from one of our listeners, actually in Texas from Alinda, okay. is, uh, Mr. Kaufman, do you speak across the United States and if so, how do people reach you? Do they go through your company or the university? Um, you can go through my companies and and Disability Works. And, uh, you know, it's www.disabilityworks.com. And I speak all over the world now. Okay. Do you want to, do you want to give that again? Sure. It's, website? it's www.disabilityworks.com. Okay, and when you do speak throughout the world, as you mentioned, what are some of the things you speak on, Jonathan? Um, you know, it, it really, the sort of range is broad, whether it be on parenting or on management, um, dealing with, you know, managers dealing with people with disabilities or in terms of marketing. Um, I, you know, I speak on policy. Um, because I have a broad background, um, I'm able to really cover a lot of topics. And I also tailor topics to people's specific needs if they have one and if it reaches into my expertise. You know, I wouldn't speak on something that I don't know. But usually um, I, I can adjust. And so the goal for me is really to focus on quality of life. And what does that mean in the context of business, in the context of education, in the context of, of just activities of daily living? Well, there you go. Now, listen, if you want to reach him, remember, Jonathan Kaufman's at disabilityworks.com, and you can get in touch with him, whatever group you're in, and find out if he's available to speak at one of your events. But right now we have to go to break. Then we'll be back with Dr. Kaufman. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Are you ready to take it to the next level, both personally and professionally? If your answer is yes, you owe it to yourself to spend an hour with America's coach, Dan Lear, and the Road to Success, broadcasting live every Thursday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Dan shares proven success strategies that will take you from where you are now to where you want to go. Your road to success begins with America's coach, Dan Lear, on the Voice America Business Channel. Over there? Over there's the water. Whoosh, whoosh. And look at all this stuff I'm standing on. It's called sand, and it's everywhere. This woman may sound silly to you and me. It's made up of little tiny pieces of rocks. Teeny little pieces of rocks. But to her two-year-old son exploring the world around him, <laughs> she makes perfect sense. How does it feel when you touch the sand? Is it warm? Uh-huh. It's hard to hold in your hand, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Learning starts long before school does, and children are naturally curious. They want to learn, so follow their lead. Take simple, everyday moments, like sorting laundry or playing on the beach, and turn them into learning moments. Is this water? No. Very good. This is sand. Oh, <laughs> no, no, it's not food. It's sand. We don't eat sand. <laughs> 
turn everyday moments into learning moments. Find out how at pornlearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show. If you just joined us, what a great show it is. It is with Dr. Jonathan Kaufman, President, Disability Strategist at Disability Works, He is an adjunct professor in New York and speaks throughout the world, truly viewed as an expert in disability strategy and culture. And speaking of culture, Jonathan, um, I work across the United States on a volunteer basis with high school students with disabilities. And over the past eight years, it has just been shocking and horrifying to see the number of high school students with disabilities who are bullied, starting when they're in elementary school. Sadly, some of them have attempted suicide, and sadder yet is some were successful. As a matter of fact, there is a new name for this called bully-side. And as everyone listening to this show knows, just in the past month, you saw, sadly, on the news, two different young boys, 11 years old, who committed suicide, 11. Think about that, as a result of bullying. Uh, in this case, they were bullied and called gay. And let me just say, other than high school students with disabilities, it is the gay students that are equally bullied to the point, as I've just told you, of committing suicide. Uh, my question for you is, do you have any advice as a professor for young people who are being bullied, young people with disabilities who are being bullied all through school, called names, called seizure dog, seizure freak, spit on, um, you know, all the way through school, do you have any advice for them and or for their parents? You know, this is something that I experienced personally growing up with a disability, and there was a time in my life where I was bullied uh, excessively. Um, particularly probably around the time I was about 13, 14 years old, and it was really brutal. And I remember it uh, very clearly. Um, You know, I think the one thing that I I do remember of that time was that I had incredibly supportive parents who were able to really see me and understand me, and they always said, look, we see the beauty in you, and it was very hard for me at that time because I, I always said to myself, look, I, I sort of I, I saw myself almost like the, of the character of Quasimodo. I felt like the, the, the Quasimodo who was the character in um, The Hunchback of Notre Dame who was at, up in the bell tower always looking down and feeling ostracized for some reason. And what I, what I realized is, just like in the, in the novel, that inside... Quasimodo was was quite beautiful and had a tremendous amount of love and caring and and great passion and I, I you know I think it took some people who really saw that in me and the people that bullied me I didn't want to be friends with anyways um, but I think for parents it's important to be to to really be aggressive in some respects of looking at your child's strengths and focusing on that and giving them the love and care that they really need and tell them that this too shall pass. Um, you know, and as horrible as it can be, people do this out of fear. I mean, we've talked about fear, fear earlier, and that's really what, what really prompts all of this. It's, it's, it's a matter of, of the unknown, and when people are fearful of the unknown, they, they sometimes lash out. But for any parent that's out there, I really suggest that you listen and you you spend time with your child and listen to what they have to say and talk about it and and again we've we've talked about this previously is don't hide it let it air out in the open discuss it and be part- you know participatory in your child's life about this because the more you're able to do that 
the more your child will feel loved and feel as if they're not alone in this world. And I think that's very important because you don't want your child to feel like Quasimodo. Well, you know what? And I'm hearing your whole story. I'm thinking, if you're a high school student or younger listening to the show, look at him. Who is he now? He has excelled in all areas of his life. He did not allow them to win. If there is no situation of this bullying where it is worth your taking your life, well, that's never, should never be worth it. But do you know what I mean? There is no, you never would, why would you ever want to give them that right? You are important. You know, I asked this young woman, uh, Jonathan, who these girls at school would get her joystick, and they kept smashing her into the wall. And so she tried to commit suicide. Thank God she was not successful. And I asked her afterwards, why? Why did you do this? Why? And she said, well, because I assume I wasn't worth anything. Hear me now. You are all worth so much. You are all beautiful people, all of you. Never let someone take that away from you. And I don't know, Jonathan, what uh, happened when you were in school, but the problem now is then when they go home, there's this thing called Facebook, MySpace, text messaging. Do you know what I mean? It's like right. That wasn't talk. existing when I was around. Yeah, so, so now it's you can't even go home and, you know, have these wonderful parents that are just going to help you and it goes away. It is nonstop. But when I ask them, well, why don't you tell anyone, their answer is they were afraid of retaliation. Right. Right. And that's tough. And that, you know... But you can use the tools of Facebook or MySpace or Twitter and create your own community and build a community of people that are like-minded, that understand what you're going through. So I always think, I mean, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in social networks. And technology is only as good as the people that use it. So if you're able to use it in a way that's constructive and not something that is it can be incredibly violent at the end of the day, but really something that is constructive and build yourself up and build your self-esteem, but, but also know that there are other people like you out there that feel the same way or are going through similar situations, and you can connect with one another and share experiences, but also create a sense of home and a, a virtual community, if you will. It's all a matter of how you, the perspective and how you use, use the tools. Yeah, and he's talking about, for example, Facebook. And listen, Bender Consulting Services, myself, the Epilepsy Foundation, we all use these avenues because we know social networking is the only way you're going to get to talk to everyone and know everyone and include you, young people. That's the only way. Yeah. But that means you can also talk to other young people. Right. And you could talk to us, and you could talk to a lot of people, but you've got to get out there. You're not by yourself. You're not alone. Uh, Jonathan, that bullying, do you feel that's just caused by insecurity from the bully, or do you feel part of it is it learned at home? I, I think it's a combination. I think, you know, again, there is learned behavior at home, um, and that's certainly a contributing factor. Um, there's also peer pressure. You know, peer pressure, you know, when we talk about... You know, in psychology and in sociology, you talk about social grouping and people somehow, they almost mimic behavior. So, and, and I think for, for young teenage kids, mimicry is, is part of the learning process and they see people, but they, and they don't want to feel ostracized. So if they see somebody beating somebody up or being mean, they somehow tag along. And, and that also, you know, that's the mob mentality. And oftentimes, it sort of leads or starts there, and then it leads to insecurity. Um, so I think there's a combination of things that are that are going on. I don't think it's just one thing that's contributing to this. I, there are probably a myriad of things going on, and that's unfortunate. But, I, again, the best sort of combatant to all of this is education, awareness, being able to, like we're doing now, talk about this, and then using social networks in a positive way as a way to connect to other people where you can talk about these things and feel a sense of community. 
I agree so much. Don't give up, ever. Believe in yourself. You know why? You can be a leader in America to help us help other students. You can get out there and say, hey, don't be afraid. You're not by yourself. I made it, so can you. And don't forget that. If you just joined us, we have been talking to Dr. Jonathan Kaufman. Really such an awesome individual. We're going to go to break for a minute. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Albert Einstein once said, nothing happens until something moves. Well, your movement towards realizing a dream, making a long-lasting change to your life, or simply putting a daily smile on your face is just a click away. Tune into Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney and free your mind, open your heart, and ignite action in your life. Host and commander in change, empowerment coach, and international speaker, Scott Chesney shares his insights to making the most out of your daily lives. Scott interviews people who are maximizing their lives, the most recognizable transformationalists and leaders around the world, as well as those hometown heroes that move, touch, and inspire the best in all of us. Stay tuned into Maximizing Life for Scott's one-on-one coaching with callers. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, broadcast each Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America channel. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, inspiring you to live life with passion, purpose, and limitless potential. In the great scheme of things, a minute isn't all that much, unless you happen to have a stroke. All of a sudden, those minutes count. Minutes that could mean losing your ability to talk, move, or walk. Which is why, if you can get help in time, your stroke can be treated. The warning signs of a stroke include sudden numbness or weakness of the face. If you experience this, call 911 immediately. Visit strokeassociation.org or call 1-888-4-STROKE today. A public service announcement from the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back. If you just joined us, we've been talking to Dr. Jonathan Kaufman, President and Disability Strategist from Disability Works. And Jonathan, one area... I know you have done a lot of work in is with the elderly with disabilities. What what do you think are some of the most difficult issues you deal with there? I think acceptance, um, particularly now with baby boomers um, who are vibrant, who um, are of a generation who, you, you know, that was a generation where they never thought they'd reach the past 30 for many of them, um, you know, the Woodstock generation. And I think as they age... Uh, the questions of disability are arising, and there are in this country, some estimates say almost close to 90 million people with um, who are 50 plus. And the interesting thing is, ARP study says, look, 70 percent of this population will be dealing with a disability. That's two thirds of the aging population. So one has to begin to think about, well, the culture of work has changed. Um, you know, we, technology has literally revolutionized how we work, and most people want to continue to work past sort of traditional retirement age. But what does that do? In effect, um, as if you look at these two-thirds of the population dealing with disabilities, how, does, how do corporations have to think about um, work-life balance, flexibility, even R&D, creating new products and services. So, I mean, those things are, are really important to education. 
people are going back to school, and particularly in this sort of economic climate, um, that is important, um, where, you, where you are seeing an increase in um, enrollment in education as people are trying to figure out, well, okay, the economy's not so good, and I may have been laid off, but this is a good time to sort of re-educate myself, if I can, while I can, um, uh, to health care. Um, you know, how do we, how do we disseminate health care in this country? And particularly, it's changing drastically um, as we look at it. So I think that the issue of disability will be ubiquitous, um, particularly within the aging community. And I know that AARP um, is realizing that what they're doing now is not enough. And I use them because they are the largest organization dealing with um, the aging population in the United States. But you can also see the trends globally, I must say. Um, and you can go to countries like Italy and Japan, where there is a large aging population. Um, and it is very interesting to sort of see. And people want to continue to live at home. You know, there are communities uh, that, are, that are out there, but many people want to live in their, home, their own home. So how do you think about active living and livable communities. What does that mean? How is that defined? Um, those are very important questions um, as people continue to get older and as disability becomes a part of their everyday life. Well, you know what, Jonathan, one thing that I noticed is that you are very confident. I mean, I think you are a very confident individual. I wanted to ask you, uh, who would you say was your role, role model that inspired you so much? My father. I mean, I really, I'm lucky. I had a father who I absolutely adore, who I really respect in many, in many ways, and gave me the tools to be the person I am. I mean, he, you know, like myself, you know, he's a professor as well as a, um, a, pr- a practitioner. And I basically took his model and ran with it. But he also gave me the ability to know myself and see me beyond just the, my disability, but to see Jonathan and to see who I was and the um, leeway to explore myself and ideas and someone to bounce everything off of. Um, and he gave me the confidence to know who I am and and what I am, and that I use my, you know, again, I come back to the Edmund Wilson line of, you know, you make your wound into your bow, and you make, my disability is my strength. It is something that has given me um, so much in my life, and it is truly a gift, and if it wasn't for my father, I would never understand that, and he would point that out to me all the time, to say, how do you use it? How is it going to be part of your life? And how do you incorporate it? Rather than seeing it something as a detriment, this is something that can be so valuable in so many ways. And it is the defining factor of my life, and I've made it my life's work. Um, but without my father, um, I don't think I would be where I am, not even close. All right, now what is your father's name? My father's name is Richard Kaufman. He's professor of medicine at Yale, at Yale University, and he's a practicing physician. Okay, Dr. Richard Kaufman, I just want to say you did a great job. More parents should be like you. You did a great job inspiring independence and confidence. So I just want to make sure I acknowledge you on the air. Jonathan, um, every person that's ever been on my show, I ask these last two questions for the past five years. This one is usually the hardest to answer, and that is, like you, oh, my goodness, you have so many accomplishments. Like, I don't even know how you could line them all up here. There are so many things you've done already in your young life. But but still, I wanted to ask you, of all those things you've accomplished, what are you proudest of? You know, that's actually the easiest question to answer, and it's a simple question. And my proudest accomplishment was being able to learn how to tie my shoe with one hand. I was part of a pilot program um, when I was in the second grade um, for young children with um, cerebral palsy to learn how to ski in Southington, Connecticut. It was one of the first programs of its kind in the United States. And I remember that one day there was a, a, a 
boy who was pretty much around my age, and he had a left hemiparesis, and I had a right hemiparesis. And so one day I watched him tie his shoe with one hand, and he had laces, and I watched him, and, and he showed me how he did it. And I remember going home, and I practiced every day for two weeks, for two weeks, every single day, just to get it right. And that was the seminal moment in my life when I was able to get it, and then I was able to perfect it. Because it was at that moment where I realized that I could be truly independent if I was able to have the wherewithal to be able to, to, to move on on a path where I could be persistent, where I could be diligent. And I have a great work ethic, which comes from my family, so that, I think, was also a real positive. But it was my moment in which I was able to tie my shoe with my, with my one hand. Well, because that was the beginning of true independence. Yes, that was. I know that sounds crazy, but if you have a disability, you understand what we're talking about. And I'm going to tell you, uh, I understand 100%. So, Jonathan, every one of our guests leaves a message for our listeners throughout the world, and I wanted to ask you what message would you like to leave? Um, my, My message is just have passion in your life. Um, you know, I, I as as you know, um, I'm very fond of quotations, and and one of my favorites is is by the poet Byron. He said, "Passion is the element by which we live. Without it, we but vegetate." And for me, find something you love, and find something you're passionate about. For me, the, the work of my life, which is the work in the, in the in the disability field, is my passion. I don't think I ever go to work. And if you find something you truly love and you're truly passionate about, then you, I believe you will have a joyous life. And that's well, really it. Well, I agree with you 100%. And, Jonathan, I want to thank you so much for being our guest today. No, I thank you. I just want to say again to all of you listeners, Jonathan Kaufman, Dr. Kaufman, is at www.disabilityworks.com. And in a few days, you will be able to go to Voice America or BenderConsult.com and listen to the show again. So if you have any friends that want to hear this, make sure you let them know. Um, I think you're fantastic, Jonathan, and I know you're just getting started. Thank you. All right. Uh, well, we're going to get ready to take off, but we always end the show with a quote from a famous civil rights leader in this country, and today it's going to be from... Jonathan Kaufman, who said, my disability is my strength. And isn't that what it's all about? This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters every day, every second, at voiceamerica.com. See you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.